0: A couple of weeks ago, uh, in Phoenix, the Vineyard uh, had a national conference. And there were a lot of folks uh, that gathered in person, and as many or more that joined online. So we're in the season of summer gathering in person, others are joining online. So I, uh, in light of just the protocol that we follow, here uh, phoenix was actually in worse shape than we are so i've kind of made it a policy that i'm not going to go from a lower risk area to a higher risk area <laughs> uh, and i'm not going to go to a place that has less vaccinations than here i just that just think that this is the season to stick with uh, the guidelines that have worked well for us and a few people in our community have gotten sick uh, but what I did is I tried to follow along best I could, and I didn't, I didn't follow everything. Uh, that Since they are running on Pacific Standard Time, that means they were how many hours later? Yeah, two hours later. And if they're starting at 7, that means they're starting at 9 here, and about 9 o'clock, I'm kind of winding down uh, I'm not ready for a two-and-a-half to three-hour service, so I, I did not make it the whole week. But I did tune in at places that I thought would be helpful. And what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to kind of bring uh, two things into our community that I think serve both as explanation about, you know, where, where are we as we're moving, kind of finding our way on, where are we? and then some encouragement as well. And I want to do that kind of as a way of just reminding us uh, leading churches isn't getting any easier, but harder and messier and more difficult. This is an unprecedented time in church history. And I know that there are going to be churches that look like everything is just rosy. It's not. Every church in America has been impacted by the pandemic. Uh, Ed Stetzer is the one that um, I got this quote from. And somebody that I've really uh, read and trusted. Uh, He's spoken three times at Vineyard gatherings. So I really have enjoyed his perspective. So this is something from him. In the past, I said if 5% of your church isn't mad at you at any given time, you're probably not leading well. Now I want you to think about that, because I would say that's probably not our expectation. I think probably our expectation of pastoral ministry is, oh, everybody loves you. And that's not true. If we are leading well, there's going to be a percentage of people that are not happy. And then, you, then I like that he adds this. Uh, but I also jokingly added that probably you need to slow down if 70% of the church is mad at you. Yeah, that's, slow that down. You're probably pushing it. Then notice, however, today I would say if 15 to 20% of your congregation is not frustrated or mad at you, you're probably not leading them through some of the harder issues of our day now one of the things that I asked everyone to do is I I asked people to do homework and I and I asked that last week and then I I sent a MailChimp with some clips and the the problem is I'm not sure many of us did that I don't know who did that Uh, so you may have to follow up what I'm saying this morning because there's a context that I'm, I'm going to draw from two messages I listened to. And if you don't hear the whole message, you may miss the point of what I'm saying. So I'll, I will kind of direct you uh, in, in how to follow up and listen to those messages. But before I get there, I want, in light of what Ed has said, about the difficulty, the messiness of leading churches today and the fact that when you are a pastor that right now 15 to 20% of the people you know in your congregation are upset with you. I want you to know that I, I have not in the last two years ever felt like I'm leading our church alone. I am so, so grateful that our leadership team has has taken responsibility for our way forward. And we've remained together to this day. So the decisions we've made about what we're going to do, how we're going to respond, that's all been a team decision. That's not just been me making decisions. I've made suggestions, but the team has made the decision. So I want to say thank you it starts with Susan I want to say thank you to Susan to Steve to Mary to Otto Christie Nathaniel and Molly Eric and Amber Drew you'll please tell Courtney and to Jenna And then I want to throw in there also Nate and Issa because y'all have shown up to lead worship during the last two years. And Jonah, you've come along leading as well. So as a leadership team of people, I feel like that we have been leading together, we've been serving together, we've been loving together the best that we could in a really, really, really difficult, messy, hard time. Something that none of us have ever experienced. Arlita, I would say that even in your life in the church, you've never ever experienced a season like this. No. So the clips that I asked you to, to watch were, it, it just, it, it provides some explanation as to what happened. There's a, there was like a car wreck. What happened? And then also, it, there's, it's not all lost. There's, there is a way forward. There's a way on. So the first clip uh, is a message by Rich Nathan. And Rich is the founding pastor of the Columbus Vineyard. He founded that vineyard in 1987. On a weekly basis, about 7,500 people from 125 nations gather for their weekly services. It's the largest vineyard in the United States. They've also planted at least 12 churches around the Columbus area, and I think it's broader than that. They've, they've just been uh, really, they've just given people away and planted churches as they go. And then they have supported missionaries all over the world. So, so I'm saying all of this to say I think that Rich is probably somebody that we can listen to. He has a long track record with the Vineyard. He has successfully gathered thousands of people. He's multiplied churches. I mean, he's been part... Again, he would, it's a leadership team. It's not just Rich. He's, uh, he's got a really strong leadership team that has done all of this. So on Thursday of the National Conference, that day was devoted... To gospel proclamation, Rich reminded the vineyard movement, those attending the conference, and those listening online of the gospel we proclaim. We proclaim, the vineyard proclaims, our proclamation is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, you find that in Matthew. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. See, it's right there. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, And they brought to him all the sick. Those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics. He cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now, I don't want to in any way minimize... The part of the gospel, the part of the good news, repent, confess your sins, and receive forgiveness. I don't want to minimize that at all, but show me in what I just read where that is being identified as a component of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I don't think it. I don't think he left it out. But you see, it's very interesting in a day where we mainly proclaim the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, we leave out the healing of the sick and the casting out of de- demons and the, the lame walking and the fact that this message is going both to the Jew and to the Gentile. I mean, Matthew's are making a point of where this is. So dividing lines are breaking down. Jesus is a crossing cultural barriers, language barriers with the good news of the kingdom of God arriving. So it's no wonder that when Jesus stood up in the synagogue in his hometown and read this passage from Luke 4, which again is a description of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God, the Spirit, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now again, the arrival of of the one who pro- would proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God, is saying, this is what this message is going to do. It's going to bring good news to the poor. And that is, includes literally the poor. It's not just poor in spirit. Proclaim release. To the captives, anyone living under oppression, this is going to be good news, freedom from that oppression. That could be both spiritual, that could also be governmental. Again, there's not these limits on it. Recovery of sight to the blind, literally the blind and also the spiritually blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim this is... The time, this is the season of God's favor. This is not the time of God's judgment. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news announced by the Old Testament prophets and made incarnate in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, anointed by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the breaking in of the kingdom to come into this present age when all things, all things are set right. Everything, everything is made new. It's not just the forgiveness of our sin. That's good. That's right. That is a setting things right, but it's not just that. It's so much more. God is after the universe that He created. I want to reclaim the universe. I want it all. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So sins are forgiven, yes. Broken people are made whole. Yes, thank God, but for what purpose? To be translated to someplace that we call heaven? No! Sins forgiven, broken people made whole so that a new humanity can partner with God in restoring all of the universe to its rightful place of beauty and peace and justice under the benevolent rule of its creator and king. I'm... I'm. I'm sorry to say that you and I have been brought up in a season of church history where the grandeur of the gospel of the kingdom has been reduced to the core of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and you're going to end up with God someday. And the the grand scheme of God has been ignored. And I'm so sorry that most of us have not been brought up with that understanding. And I have to say that, you know, many in Jesus, I mean, many welcomed the good news of the kingdom when Jesus announced it, but not everybody. You know, so who are those that resisted the good news of the kingdom? Well, one, the evil one. When the evil one tempted Jesus in the wilderness... His hope was to derail the arrival of the good news of the kingdom. If I can stop this from happening, then I can keep humanity and God's universe in darkness under my enslavement, if I I can stop it before it begins. King Herod, he slaughtered babies in order to stop this. The Sanhedrin, that's the Supreme Court of Israel. They judge Jesus as, you're doing the works of the devil when he's casting out spirits or healing the sick. Pilate, the Roman governor, who ultimately approved of his death, the death of an innocent man. He knew he was innocent. But he pleased the crowd for political reasons. Saul, the Pharisee, persecuted the followers of Jesus. Wanted them in jail or executed. So Rich raised a really, 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 really important question. As there were things in Jesus' day that contended... Against the gospel of the kingdom. What is contending against the gospel of the kingdom in our day? What is threatened? What, what in the world that you and I know would be threatened if things were made right? Who would lose position? Who would lose power? if God were to come and rule and to reign and set things right. The major threat to the preaching of the good news of the kingdom in the 21st century, according to Rich, is the misunderstanding of the message of the kingdom preached by Jesus. The good news of the kingdom includes, not not just this all the time, but it includes this. Talking about ridding America of systemic racism. That's part of the gospel proclamation of the kingdom. Talking about receiving Afghan refugees in American cities. That we need to talk about as part of the gospel of the kingdom when it needs to be talked about. Talking about the condition of immigrant children on the southern border of the United States. That is part of the gospel of the kingdom. Talking about reducing gun violence in the U.S. Talking about the threat of climate change. Talking about any issue of social injustice. It's all about the gospel of kingdom. Now, again, it's not something that we talk about every week, but it, when it comes up, we got to address it. The biggest threat that I have felt and that I've been trying to warn the church about is there is a growing threat of far-right populism. And as I've studied that and I've tried to share that, I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness And it is appropriate, it is right that that be addressed. Again, not every week. We haven't been pounding that every week, but occasionally it comes. And all of these, all of these are parts of holding on to the gospel of the kingdom, and we as a community of people address the issues of our day that need to be addressed in the name of Jesus. Now, this Contending against the gospel of the kingdom, Rich mentioned this, I'll mention it as well. Clearly, our 30-minute message on Sunday is no match for the average of 30 hours per week of cable listening on these topics these topics are being listed they're, they're, being, they're on the airways people are listening and most people will walk in with their mind made up because they've listened to 30 hours and I have five, 30 minutes or any other pastor has 30 minutes to say well Jesus has a perspective on that too and right now most of the perspective that Jesus has on these social issues are different than what Cable is saying so again, there's this collision. And so in that, we are gonna miscommunicate. You're gonna hear me say things that I'm not saying, or you're gonna hear me not say things that I'm not saying. There's there's a it, it just creates a horrible creation of communication problem. So we we've got to, you've got to learn two things. One, we have got to learn what it means to believe in the good news of the kingdom and what it means for you and I to be kingdom people announcing that kingdom's arrival and doing things consistent with that kingdom. We we need to understand that. And forgive me if I have done a bad job because I feel like I really have. I don't feel like I've really made many disciples of the gospel of the kingdom. So forgive me. I've tried, but I think I've fallen short. The other thing is if any of us ever gets offended... If you get offended by a song, or you get offended by a prayer, or you get offended by a sentence or two out of a Sunday message, we've got to talk about it. You can't just walk away from a community without talking about it. I mean, we can agree to disagree, there's lots of options here. We can reconcile. We, we could even decide together, you know, maybe it is time that we part company. Paul and Barnabas did that. That's a biblical thing to do. There's, there's no sin in deciding, hey, my family needs to go to another church. No, there's no sin in that. But Paul exhorts us, all of us, not just the leadership team of a church, all of us make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of us make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we hold on to an offense without seeking a reconciliation or an explanation and we we just walk away without any conversation that falls way short of this exhortation. And that kind of leads me into the good news. Maybe, I don't know, I think this is good. I don't know, I'm, I'm confused about the good news now. But I wanted you to listen to something else. I wanted you to listen to Tim Mackey, who's the founder of the Bible Project. I want you to know he's he's a graduate of Multnomah School of the Bible. He has a seminary degree. I would say that's a master's degree of some sort from Western Seminary. He has a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Jewish Studies from the University of Wisconsin Madison. He's a pastor. I think he, I think he served as a pastor for 20 years, and he just got frustrated because people wouldn't read their Bible. It's like Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, for 30 years, got You're not reading your Bible. So I'm going to translate the Bible. What a labor of love he did. Every week he translated what he was going to preach into something that people would read. That's called the Message Bible. So Tim is like that, but he's chosen illustration. I want people to see the story of the Bible. The union... Of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. Think about that. Heaven and earth share space when God is present, when sin is forgiven, and when humans are animated by the Spirit of God and they're building a beautiful and a flourishing world. Every church, every church that is following Jesus, every church that is praying, let your kingdom come. Let your rule come. Influence us with your kingdom. Establish your kingdom here. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every church following Jesus, just praying that part of the prayer, is meant to be and become a little pocket of heaven on earth. We are created in the image of God. We're animated by the Spirit of God to represent heaven on earth with shared responsibility for the condition of the earth. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are the keepers of other human beings. We must open our eyes to what's really going on in our cities. Where are people or groups of people being left behind or abused or treated with violence or not given opportunity to share in the benevolent rule of God? Do we see? Do we care? Do we take responsibility? You see, I think we've lost sight of who we are. That you know, those of you that know me well, I've I've had a burr under my bonnet or under my saddle blanket or whatever. You know, there. <laughs> it's it's because. We're forgetting who we are. We've, we're, we've lost identity. we are citizens of heaven on the earth. So that's why I'm saying it, it's if if we have this this disagreement, but we don't resolve it, we're walking away from this, this relationship that is really incredible. And it's not like we can't reconnect somewhere else, but 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 if we know what we are and who we are and what we're doing, then I think it. As long as it's as long as it depends on us, we've got to live peacefully with one another because we represent heaven on earth. So we have to do everything we can to resolve all of our disagreements. You know, part of. Of, of Part of what I'm doing in this season of my life is I'm trying to raise up the next leaders for this community. I believe that this community has a life that exceeds mine. So what's the message to those leaders that I'm trying to raise up as they watch people walk away without resolving their differences? What are they learning from that? God is present. He wants to animate our dirt. We need to remember we're dirt. So that we then can deal rightly with one another. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to animate us, then we're just going to get dirty. And we're going to treat each other like dirt. Jesus has shed his blood so that He can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so that we can again forgive one another, we can seek peace, we can live with our differences, and we can do that peacefully. Our highest allegiance, if we understand that this is a bit of heaven on the earth, our highest allegiance is to our king and to his kingdom. Yes, we have been born into a nation. Yes, we can thank God for our nation. Yes, we can participate in that nation. But if we begin to elevate that nation above our king and his kingdom, we're off track. Our highest allegiance must be to Jesus the principles of His kingdom. May we not only announce the good news of His kingdom, but we all, may we also recognize, just like Jesus, we incarnate the good news in the way that we relate to one another. So my prayer is that we be the good news. We need to be it. Holy Spirit helping us. So we have a message. The message is the gospel of the kingdom. And the message of the gospel of the kingdom is going to get us involved in lots of different areas of life. And that's what God would choose. So that we are part of the process of heaven coming to earth, of all of the universe being renewed. So if you are troubled by something on the planet that's not right, that's of God. And you're working hard to see that set right, that's of God. God bless that. And we as a community want to be part of that. And then we as a community, how we relate to one another, how we treat one another, how we celebrate together, how we live life together, this is a bit of heaven on earth. We must respect and cherish what God is doing among us. Now, before I say the farewell, I just wonder, I mean, have have I communicated anything? Is there any comments or any questions that you want to ask or statements you want to say? What's the hardest part about going from the understanding of the gospel as just the forgiveness of sins and the, "hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away" to the bigger? The What's bigger the thing? hardest part of that? What's the hardest part of getting people to? Uh, I wouldn't say let go because forgiveness of sins is a part. Yeah, it's, you know, definitely,
1: it's, and it's not you know. Uh, and Jesus spoke of forgiveness of sins. John obviously said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of yes. the world, right?
0: But what's the hardest part for people to uh, open their hearts that that is just a slice of the pie and to embrace the bigger part? Because most of us have been discipled out our life to, to accept the reduced good news. And, and, and many of us think, oh, that's, it's heretical for us to get involved in these things. There's so many voices right. that have said the opposite of what I've said this morning. Yeah, like like how a social gospel is like a dirty word. Right, and I'm not talking about the social gospel. Right. The social gospel was something that happened in the 50s. I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about justice. I'm talking about biblical justice and I'm talking about the good news of the kingdom.
2: I would answer Jonah's question with because it's more difficult. Yeah. Exactly. Accepting that you're a sinner and saying a prayer and now you're part of a club, that's the easy part. Challenging your thinking and comparing it and laying it alongside of what you read in the gospel, that's hard. That requires that you start questioning. Even harder, because no matter where I want to turn in the social media world, there's a group of people that you will know, say they believe what I believe, but will also not be willing to change and give me support. That that's okay. When you know the Bible challenges us to become more like Jesus, well, we're going to have to change to do that. None of us are Jesus, and so you know I think. That step, you know, once you agree that Jesus is the Son of God and was sent here for our Savior, the next step is harder because it, it involves changing and it involves how we deal with differences and anger and, and those things. Thank you,
0: Jeff. There's a world shift, there's a worldview shift, and those we've all been discipled to have a particular worldview. view. And this worldview can make that worldview really uncomfortable. I mean, I'll say something about Bethlehem Bible College, but the first time we visited the Middle East, I I was very disturbed because what I'd been taught, I did not see. And I had a choice. I could have come home and just said, well, I must must have just misread that. And I'll just go with the party line. Because that's easier. That's more comfortable. But the Spirit of God did not allow me to do that. I was so disturbed by what I saw. I thought, oh, what can we do? Hello? What can we do to help in the situation that's really wrong? But how do we help everybody in that situation that's wrong?
1: Anything else? I think it's so important that we engage like this. This simplified gospel was the outworking of the last great threat to the church from culture, which was the rise of naturalism as a philosophy in the late 19th century, and Darwinism and all that, and the the church did not respond well to that. The, The response of the church was to circle the wagons and to not engage and to not take it head on. And fundamentalism and this reduced, stripped-down gospel was the outworking of those of that response. And it has not served the church well and has not served our our world well. And you know there is there is now right now a similar response in many churches that are not the churches that we can easily look at and go, oh my gosh, this is just ridiculous. The good churches that have just taken the response, well, we're just going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to talk about any of the rest of this. We're just going to talk about Jesus. And, and it's that same response of circling the wagons and just not engaging. And, and I, I don't think that's healthy for the church. And I don't think it's healthy for our world. And it's important that we figure out how to engage in a way that simultaneously represents the kingdom. Because it's easy to engage and look like finger wagging and raised voices and and all that. It's much more difficult to figure out how to engage and represent the kingdom at the same time. And I think it's extremely important and is the only hope for the gospel in this country.
0: Well, as we uh, move towards the farewell, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things uh, that may right now it may seem really difficult, like there's a really tall, wide, scary bridge we have. I mean, folks, we've already crossed that bridge. We're already engaged in the gospel of the kingdom, and we may not recognize it for what it is. So let me just give a couple of farewell things, and then. I'm going to give some illustrations, which is part of our celebration for this morning. I, I really want to encourage us to enjoy our neighbors uh, this evening. I mean, there have been those times that I've kind of like turned off the lights and hidden in the back, and I just didn't want to. I just, I just didn't want to deal with handing out candy. But this is a great opportunity to hand out candy, bless our neighbors, and enjoy, have some fun. There are those that. Participate in the dark side of Halloween. We're not those people. So, darkness doesn't overcome light. Be the light and enjoy your neighbors. I want us to continue to pray for the end of the pandemic. Our numbers are coming down, wonderfully coming down. Our leadership team has decided we're going to transition back to taking off the mask once we hit 5%. We're at 7.8%. So, we're getting really close in our community. So, Keep praying. This month, uh, in light of what I've shared and then in light of what's happening this month, I want us to celebrate one of our vineyard values, which is the value of reconciliation. Jesus is reconciling humans to God, to each other and to the entire creation. Notice that, (laughs) himself, to each other. We're getting big here. Reconciliation to all of creation. Breaking down divisions between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, black and white, keeps on going. We divided in so many different ways, but the gospel breaks down all those dividing walls. Therefore, we are committed, we're committed to becoming healing communities engaged in the work of reconciliation, which could also be the work of justice. to become a healing community engaged in the work of reconciliation wherever sin and evil hold sway. We seek to be diverse communities of hope that realize the power of the cross to reconcile what has been separated by sin. So I'm thankful for, number one, Wednesday was devoted to justice during the conference. And as I listened to that, I thought of Susan. Susan has, she has held high the banner of justice for the past 20 years. Susan has prayed lots more than me, where are the poor? If we're to remember the poor, where are the poor in New Braunfels? Well, she has found them because of that prayer. And she has served faithfully at Laurel Plaza. Taking a meal once a month and hanging out with people is sharing the good news of the kingdom. She's a peer support specialist at River City Advocacy. That is a kingdom ministry. What she's doing. Molly, I mean, she continues to follow what's happening with immigrants on our border. She continues to go. She continues to encourage us. How can we help? That's a work of the kingdom. Steve and Mary Ann continue to serve Bethlehem Bible College in a variety of ways. This week, there's a board meeting here in New Braunfels. You know, people supporting Bethlehem Bible College send their donation checks to New Braunfels, Texas. What? Because of these two. And that's a reconciling ministry in the Middle East. I I have the opportunity, but I was given the opportunity to help support an Afghan refugee family in Austin. A vineyard pastor from St. Louis called, hey, this family... We've been helping them, but they're moving to Austin. Can you contact them? They're going to need a couple of months' help. It's the work of the kingdom. I've enjoyed my conversation with Shaquille. For two months, we're going to help them. If you want to help with that, you're welcome to give a gift to our mercy fund. These are ways that we are living out the good news of the kingdom. And I could go on and on, but those are the ones to highlight this morning. So with that, may I ask you to stand and let me pray a benediction over us. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast. That which is good, render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor everyone, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God Almighty. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.